Ladies and gentlemen, we're expecting some moderate turbulence. Please remain seated and enjoy the show. Hello. And welcome to Moderate Turbulence. I'm Jeremy. I'm Adele. How are you, Adele? Doing very well, Jeremy. How are you doing? I'm also doing very well. We had some good news in the last uh, 24 hours. Yeah, lots of great information, news, updates, pretty much all, yeah, within the last 24 hours. And it's just all at once. And it's all so wonderful. And it's all just what we've been waiting for. Um, I'm just going to preface this with that we didn't get our jobs back yet <laughs> yeah. you know so that's not the news the exact news that we got but it's definitely in that category and it's all towards the like that direction it's, that, it's a step uh, in the right direction that yeah. we got there so um yeah so yesterday we got news first of all at our airline that they started recalls again yep and they hadn't done any recalls since i think the fall yeah because they laid off more crew in january so um, yesterday they announced that they were recalling about 100 crew members. Yeah. And that's just so funny because I had told Jeremy a couple days earlier that I just want them to call back 100. You know, that's not a lot, but if they call back 100, at least that's something. It's movement in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. And that's pretty much what they announced. <laughs> so that's kind of funny and great. And, you know, hey. I got what I asked for. Yep. You know, of course, it's not me or Jeremy, but, you know, 100 more that are going back online, that's 100 less ahead of you before yeah. you get recalled. <laughs> and then, you know, as soon as you get recalled, that eventually they'd all get recalled. So it's just all moving forward. Yep. And then there was a huge bailout that was announced last night. Well, I say bailout, but it's really a structured loan, I guess. Uh, so the government's investing... Uh, a, a large chunk of money and then offering more as a loan uh, to Canada's largest airline. Uh, and that's going to help bring back employees, get the roots up and going again. And again, it's another step in, a, in the right direction. So hopefully that'll start to uh, start Canadian av aviation on the right path to getting back to normal. Yeah. Because we, we've been waiting for that for, for Over a while. A year, yeah. yeah. Because a lot of other countries, have helped their aviation, their airlines have given money, have subsidized them, and we at uh, in Canada have had nothing. Yeah. So, um, you know, and we're looking at the states, and we've mentioned it before, you know, they're doing as many cases at, that they've had of COVID and how big the country is and how populated they are. They are now getting vaccinated, and their travel industry is booming right now. And many of their airlines have actually called back 100% of their crew. Yeah. And one quick note. So with the borders being closed, the borders aren't really closed. Like you can still travel between Canada and the U.S. It's just really difficult. So if you fly back to Canada from the U.S., automatic quarantine, $2,000 in a hotel, that's automatic. But if you fly to Buffalo and drive across the border, there's no... The, like you're not mandated to stay in a hotel for three days or anything like that. So a lot of people are doing just that, driving over the border and using American uh, carriers to fly around. So yeah. all that's doing is hurting Canadian aviation more. 
mm-hmm. and helping bolster the U.S. market, right? So it's like some of the rules that are in place are only hurting Canadian aviation. So luckily, this this will hopefully be a step in the right direction. Uh, soon, they'll probably start lifting some of those regulations. I, well, I say soon, but at some point, we hope. And uh, and let's get travel going back in Canada. Yeah, and you know, with the news that has come in, we're super hopeful that it's finally happening and moving towards something good. And you know, we are not getting vaccinated as quickly as the states, but we are getting vaccinated and it's it's slower, but it is happening. So, you know, hopefully by let's say midsummer, maybe or at least the end of summer, most I'd say I think the plan is that by summer or like by the end of summer, most of Canadian population will have received their first dose. I think that's the plan. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a start. And, you know, the, the vaccine is supposed to be 80% effective after the first dose to okay. preventing uh, serious illness. And, you know, after the second dose, that's uh, to help prevent long-term um, effects of it. So, or long, ter- long-term protection, sorry. I'm, I was reading that off of like the, Alberta health website and the Alberta website about the vaccine. So, you know, that's not information I just took out of my head here. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's very hopeful, you know, yeah, we are still asked to follow guidelines, even if we are vaccinated, just because not everybody is vaccinated right now. But when it says that you're 80% protected after the first dose, that's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's a little different in each province. Uh, so, like, my father had his first dose last month, and he gets his second dose this month, uh, and he's here in Alberta now. My mother lives in Ontario. She had her first dose, and she won't get her second dose until July. So it's a little different depending where you are. Yeah, but they recently changed the rules as well. Yeah. So it used to be just a, like a four, four to five week, week yeah. waiting period, and then they recently changed it to. 16 week 16 weeks so um and that's just to get more people that first dose right like quicker i mean who who knows exactly what the the reasoning is because according you know if you like the official like on the website uh information is it's uh the advice of alberta health yeah but um you know, maybe it is, you know, if you vaccinate more people with that first dose, then maybe that's better than having, let's say, 20% with two doses. Maybe it's better to have 80% with one dose. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's the reasoning, but they're just using it as like, oh, like it's better if you wait 16 weeks. Yeah. I don't know. But it is what it is now. We have to like, if I get vaccinated today, I have to wait 16 weeks. I can't, there's no way I can get it in four weeks. That's just the rule now. So, I mean, it it is is, what it is. Yeah. yeah, And I'm like, I'm not, uh, I'm not torn up about it. Again, like we're not, uh, we're not at risk, at risk. So, and we don't interact with many people anyway. So, well, yeah, I mean, I, we're not like on lockdown, like obviously Ontario and Quebec have it a little bit, uh, have harsher rules in place right now with the stay at home order and in Montreal, the curfew is back to 8 PM. 
and we don't have that in Alberta, we can still go and eat at on a patio. We can't eat indoors, but we can go to a restaurant and eat on the patio. Yeah, except as soon as they announced those regulations, it's been around like zero degrees in, yeah. in Calgary, at least. And it's snowed almost every day. The snow hasn't stayed on the ground, but it's been, you know, blustery and windy and around zero. So when we go for a walk now, we're back on our winter coats and our hats and our toques and yeah. no, our hats and our gloves. So it's like, yeah. ha ha, you, you, we're allowing you outdoor dining, but good luck. And there, there's been some funny things on like the Calgary uh, Instagram pages, Calgary events, uh, which is one that we both follow, where there's like a family, they're all bundled up and they're eating outside on a patio and you see them like shivering as they cut the pizza and take a sip of their drink. It's just, it's, I mean, it's funny. It was meant to be funny. Well, yeah, well, they're bundled up and there's clearly a lot of snow coming yeah. down as well. Yeah. So they're eating their pizza and you're wondering, well, how warm is that pizza <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so but i mean that's also like the canadian spirit you you'd say you can we can eat outdoors okay fine we'll eat outdoors yep. you know we'll, we, we we'll will make it work yeah we'll bundle up and we will you know it's there's like that's kind of like the the energy and, and the spirit and the the optimism that i like about canadians you know it's it's been definitely muffled a lot in the past year because of covid and you know some things have been very difficult of course but this yeah these people being able to just you know enjoy their their dinner outside still because that's allowed and you know why not you know yeah yeah so that's really nice and we actually want to go to the mountains in a couple days and we might sit on a patio in our bundled (laughs) up gear and have a meal who knows yeah so but uh, enough of all that. Jeremy has prepared an incident that he's been working on for several days at this point. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a longer one, but it's a, it's a very interesting incident. And I chose this one because it's one that I remembered um, that, was, that was shown during my initial training. Uh, and then, of course, when I was involved in teaching initial training, uh, I got to watch the videos and everything um, several times. And it's a very, very interesting incident. So I hope you like it. Okay, let's go. All right, so today we're talking about United 232, the impossible landing in Sioux City, Iowa. Uh, The resources I used for this were Wikipedia. I watched the Mayday episode on it. And uh, of course, our favorite, Alec Joshua eBay on YouTube. July 19th, 1989, United Flight 232 is leaving Denver for Chicago and then continuing on to Philadelphia. We have 285 passengers on board, three pilots and eight flight attendants. In the flight deck, we have Captain Al Haynes, who's 57, First Officer Bill Records, who's 48, and Flight Engineer Dudley Dvorak, who is 51. We're flying in a McDonnell Douglas DC-10, which was delivered to United in 1971. The DC-10 has three engines. We have one under each wing and one tail mounted. All right, so we take off. Just over an hour into the flight from Denver to Chicago, cruising at 37,000 feet. The tail-mounted engine suffers a catastrophic failure. The fan disc explosively disintegrated. Now, the DC-10 has three separate hydraulic systems that control the movement of the aircraft. Each system is responsible for a portion of the aircraft control, such as landing gear, flaps, ailerons, elevators, brakes, and things like that. Now, in the case of United 232, all three hydraulic system lines are severed and rendered unusable. So this means the aircraft has no way to steer using the hydraulic systems, which is needed to keep the aircraft level and steer left, right, make turns, things like that. 
and you're also not able to deploy the landing gear properly. All they have that's usable is thrust to the left and right engine. So picture this, okay? Think about if you're driving on the highway, you're bombing down there, you're doing 100 miles an hour, all of a sudden your steering wheel stops working. Your brakes stop working. All you can do is apply power, more or less power, to the left front wheel and the right front wheel independently. You can't steer them, but that's all you have. Crazy, eh? Now picture yourself at 37,000 feet with those same steering issues and just under 300 people right behind you. And you're trying to steer this massive aircraft to somehow land on a runway somewhere. So the aircraft's crippled, there's no way to steer, and the nose gear starts dipping down into the right. So in an attempt to keep some control, the pilots throttle back on the left engine and they applied thrust to the right engine, and eventually they're able to bring the aircraft back level. The aircraft then enters a fugoid cycle, which we'll get to in a bit. So we do have one more United pilot who's traveling as a passenger on this flight. It's Dennis Fitch. He's 46. He's a training check airman on the DC-10 and a flight instructor. One of the flight attendants knew him, and so he was introduced to the pilots of 232 as this incident was unfolding, and he offers to help in any way. Fitch also knows of the 1985 JAL Flight 123, which also had a hydraulic failure, and he had practiced this scenario in the simulator. Wow. So, and we talked about this incident. We talked about this in a previous episode because JAL 123 also entered a fugoid cycle and eventually, unfortunately, it did crash into the mountains. So Dennis Fitch was given the task of controlling the thrust to the two working engines. He used one thrust lever in each hand. And he was able to keep the plane level and make minor turns by manipulating those levers. It was quickly discovered that left turns were not possible. So if they had to make a left turn, they would have to do a 270 degree degree turn to the right. So they're making a bunch of looping right turns to turn left and to sort of kill off some fuel as well. As the pilots attempt to control the aircraft as best they can, the realization is that eventually they're going to need to land. They contacted maintenance, uh, and that gave them no conclusion, as it was deemed impossible to lose all three hydraulic lines, so there's no procedures in place for such an event. After a series of right turns to line up to a runway, the aircraft is now nearing its final approach. There's a brief discussion in the flight deck about whether to deploy the landing gear or attempt a belly landing. Do you want to explain a belly landing? Well, essentially, a belly landing is when you don't have the landing gear out and you Mm -hmm. land on the belly of the plane. Exactly. So just the plane on the runway. So the fuselage directly on the concrete. Yeah. So it's quite harsh. Yep. It'll uh, create a lot of friction yep. and sparks. Oh, yeah. Because a big metal bird on concrete or pavement or whatever, scraping at whatever speed. Yeah. You know, imagine a car without wheels, you know, the same, same, same analogy, analogy yeah. again. You know, it's like... Can you imagine the sparks coming? Yeah. But a million times bigger? Yeah. Maybe not a million, but you know what I mean. <laughs> that's a lot. That's also very dangerous. Why? That's why they have landing gears. Exactly. Well, to land on the wheels. So during this discussion, Captain Haynes, he later said that he knew he wanted the landing gear deployed, and that was to absorb some of the impact when touching down. Remember, no hydraulics means no flaps, no slats, no real way of slowing down to a safe landing speed or rate of descent. 
So on final approach, the aircraft is now traveling at about 220 knots. A safe landing speed is about 140 knots. They're also at a much higher rate of descent, about six times faster than normal. So they're coming down fast and they're coming in hot. As they're about to touch down, the right wing struck the ground first, which spilled and ignited fuel immediately. The fuselage began to break apart, starting with the tail section, then the rest of the aircraft, and then it was pivoting on its nose, and witnesses reported it cartwheeling along the runway and constantly breaking apart. The main part of the fuselage came to a rest upside down in a cornfield. Of the 296 aircraft occupants, we did have 112 fatalities. There were 184 survivors, and of those survivors, there was 171 injuries, many of which were serious. As the flight deck had detached from the rest of the fuselage, it was not identified in the debris until 35 minutes after the crash. Wow. So the flight deck broke apart its way over there. Of course, it's in pieces as it cartwheeled down the runway. So the emergency services are trying to help everybody they can. They didn't get to the pilots because they didn't know where they were until 35 minutes later. It's crazy. When they did get to the flight deck, all four pilots survived and they all made full recoveries. Amazingly, all eight flight attendants survived, all of which were injured, but they were also credited for helping those that survived the initial impact escape the burning debris. Tragically, many of the fatalities were due to smoke inhalation. Now, the probable cause of the accident was determined to be a fatigue crack in the fan disc in the tail-mounted engine. I don't want to get too much into it, but in short, the NTSB determined that the fatigue crack was not detected by United Airlines' engine overhaul facility, the fatigue crack eventually gave, and that's what crippled the aircraft. Some factors that contributed to the survival of so many in such an impossible situation include successful CRM skills. Now, often in aviation history, the aircraft captain is seen as the almighty on board. He's the be-all and end-all. What the captain says is respected, and they have the final word without question. So this changed with such events as the Tenerife disaster. And now, instead of one person making all the decisions, an educated discussion ensues, utilizing the experience and expertise of all crew members to reach the best decision. This has come to include flight attendants as well, as we are now the eyes and the ears of anything that happens behind the flight deck door. For United 232, Captain Haynes is credited for using great CRM skills as he delegated throttle controls to Denny Fitch, and he maintained open communication amongst all four pilots contributing to the survival of so many. Captain Haynes also credits three major factors uh, relating to the time of day that helped the survival rate. So I'm just going to read an excerpt uh, straight from Wikipedia. Number one, the accident occurred during daylight hours and in good weather. Number two, the accident occurred as a shift change was occurring at both Regional Trauma Center and a Regional Burn Center in Sioux City, allowing for more medical personnel to treat the injured. And number three, the accident occurred when the Iowa Air National Guard was on duty at Sioux Gateway Airport, allowing for an extra 285 trained personnel to assist with triage and evacuation of the injured. Haynes said, had any of those things not been there, I'm sure the fatality rate would have been a lot higher. Captain Haynes passed away in 2019 at 87, just a few days shy of his 88th birthday. United Airlines issued a statement thanking him for his exceptional efforts aboard flight UA-232. And there we have it, the tragic story of United 232, which seemed impossible to survive, but with excellent airmanship of its crew and incredible use of CRM skills, 184 of those doomed aircraft occupants lived to share this unbelievable story. 
And there you have it. Wow. That is an incredible story. It's uh, And anybody out there, I urge you, go on YouTube and just, uh, just type in United 232. You can see actual footage of the aircraft. I'm using air quotes here, landing, because you can see it sort of pivoting on its nose and going down the runway and kind of breaking apart. It's, it's unbelievable to watch as you see it. And as the fires ignite right away, you're like, wow, that's tragic. There can't be any survivors. So the fact that about 60, between 60 and 70% of the aircraft occupants survived is incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. Do you remember anything from that uh, during your initial training about seeing that? No, I don't remember that one. Okay. But I mean, it just shows like the training of, of pilots and the importance of, you know, awareness and, you know, certain incidences that we've talked about, you know, we've had pilots that are newer or have a chip on their shoulder or have something to prove or just wanted to get back home at the end of their day or this or that. So it's like in aviation, you, you can't have anything else on your mind except the flight. You have to just do your job because you have your life and other people's lives at stake and nothing like you can't be fatigued. You can't be sick. You can't be anything else. You have to be super alert, super aware and super focused on your job. And you know, that's why we get retrained every year. You know, pilots and flight attendants too. Yeah. They do their SIM training. I think it's every six months and yeah. You know, so it's like, it's not like, Oh, you get trained once and you go to school and then there you go. That's it. You know, it's like it's constant and you always, you know, there's new regulations that come up, you know, like if certain incidents happen, you put in new regulations, new protocols in place, and you always have to be aware of what's new and what's happening. So it's... Yeah. Um, A a few more things that I read about this incident. So after the fact, they sort of toyed with using this as a SIM training. Uh, So like, okay, you lose all your hydraulics, what do you do sort of thing? And they determined it wasn't it wasn't useful to have SIM training for this because the likelihood of landing the aircraft safely was so low that they're like, it's not even useful to practice this. Um, And so instead they tried to make more modifications to the hydraulic lines so that even if a a line was severed or partially severed, that they could still save some of the hydraulic fluid and use those uh, aircraft controls. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's like, why, why try to, survive or like train for something that's so unbelievable just let's prevent it from happening you know this is kind of like a unprecedented situation so you prepare as much as possible but then you know as as you told in your story the maintenance didn't know what to do because it's yeah they said that's that can't happen yeah but it did happen prepared for for that exact situation they're like well well, that can't happen so we have nothing like it did happen what do we do i don't know yeah so but great great on them that's a great story because you know there were survivors the pilots survived the flight attendants survived as well and most of the or a great a good large number of the the passengers survived as well and that's crazy i mean you're telling the story and I'm like, yeah, there's no way anybody survived that. How? Yeah. <laughs> With an aircraft coming in way too fast, pivoting on its nose. Uh, and some reports say it cartwheeled down the air, uh, down the runway. And some reports say, oh no, that's impossible. But 
I mean, the fact is, obviously, the fuselage was in multiple pieces. Flytex over there. The main part of the fuselage is over there. The tail section's back there. And people survived. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Thank you for, for preparing that incident. You put in a lot of work on that. I did. I did. It was, it's a fun one. It's a great, and it shows the importance of CRM skills. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it, but CRM stands for crew resource management. And that's basically using everybody's expertise and information to solve the problem at hand. So it's not like in the past, like I was saying, it's not all just on the captain. Hey, captain, what do we do? It's like, hey, captain, here's a suggestion. And you have a a two-way conversation rather than just one person, uh, you know, telling orders to everybody. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned the 1080 fit and it's like, that one pilot just wanted to get home at his, at the end of his shift. And nobody wanted to say boo to him. <laughs> yeah, and he just, he kind of just took control in that situation and just, he just wanted to go. And he was putting pressure on everyone to go. And, and you know, yep. that's not a, the best thing, of course, when there's that much fog and stuff. But you guys can go and listen to that episode and you'll find out what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't know, don't know already. And you, know, you can also listen to the, uh, JAL one two three episode. Those are both yours. Yeah, but you can still listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both seven forty sevens. That's funny. Well, they're three in the two incidents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're early on episodes. But uh, yeah, um, that uh, pretty much concludes this week's episode. Lots to talk about here. So um, I hope you all are still listening and you didn't check out and that you uh, stuck around for the end of this. And uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, we're about to go walk Roxy. She, of course, is on my lap right now. I snapped a quick picture of her uh, while you were talking earlier, so I'll I'll, I'll post that one too. <laughs> She's a sweetie. She knows what to uh, what to do when she comes in the podcast room. She she follows me in, jumps on the chair that I I sit on to do the podcast. <laughs> he starts showing me the picture now. <laughs> She's very very comfortable. Yep. And. Yeah, she's ready for for podcast time. <laughs> and yeah, I hope everyone out there is doing well. And uh, we've had a great slew of good news here. So I hope that uh, the good news is affecting you in a way or that you've had received some good news as well or that you're just having a, a great day just because, you know, it's it's nice to feel this optimistic and this good after all that has happened. So, you know, it's, it's a nice feeling and we're kind of on a bit of a high right now, which is nice because God knows that it hasn't been that way for, for a while. It hasn't been that way very often. So it's nice. And, um, you know, if you're out there, you know what to do. Be nice to your flight attendants. Cause they might have to save your butt one day. All right. Thanks everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. We have new episodes every Wednesday. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Moderate Turbulence on Instagram, at Mod Turbulence on Twitter, and follow us individually on Instagram at HuffyJ and at La Delvi. Thank you.